This is Founders Talk. I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This show is all about awesome, in-depth, one-on-one conversations with founders. This is episode number 37, recorded July 3rd, 2012. And today's guest is Sarah Hatter, the founder of CoSupport, back for part two. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are back with Sarah Hatter. This is part two of two of the awesome conversation with the ever awesome Sarah Hatter from, I guess you're kind of from Coastal Port, right? You're just from yourself, yeah. maybe. I think I'm, I'm, I'm from, I'm of, of, of Coastal Port. Is that, was that, I think that's incorrect to say that, but right. I am Coastal Port, if it matters. <laughs> you're the founder of Coastal Port. So that's, founder of Coastal Port. There you Port. go. Yeah, and for those of you who, li- who are listening right now, there's actually a part one. So if you haven't listened to part one, I don't think you have to go back and listen to it to listen to this one too. But it's probably maybe better to go uh, in a linear fashion and go back to part one so you can go to 5x5.tv and, and just pull up that episode. Or if you're on your iPhone or if you're an Instacast or whatever, then just uh, choose the previous episode, episode number 36, because this is episode number 37. <laughs> and that's how it goes. But uh, we actually have uh, two awesome sponsors and a bandwidth sponsor, I think. Dark Sky is a awesome iPhone and iPad app that's a sponsor for this show. You'll hear more about them later on. Dan will tell you all about it. And Sifter Stickers is an awesome book by Jack Azal, so you'll hear about that as well. And the bandwidth sponsor for this show is Infinite Kind. It's in sync space for iPad and Android, and it enables multiple people to sketch ideas together, basically. It's pretty cool. So wherever they are in an infinite you know, zoomable drawing space, you can do all that stuff together. It's pretty wild. So infinitekind.com. And and, uh, and we're back with Sarah, so that's good. So welcome back, Sarah. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. And this show, because the last show was, uh, I hate to say it like this, but I think we talked a lot about your passions. We didn't quite dig into yeah. why you started your company, maybe in and around it, but it wasn't really a direct question. We talked a lot about um, you know your new partnership with the guys from less everything and just a lot of other fun things but this show is kind of we brought you back on to to go deep into your history so are you ready for this <laughs> i don't think my history goes that deep seriously i just like i just had a birthday like two days ago i'm only 32 i really don't have like you know all this space and time and experience behind me which probably is why i'm still so fearless in everything like that might be just part of my personality in general that I'm like a risk taker. I don't think of consequences like ever. Um, so, but it also leads to the, that, you know, I'm, I'm young. I haven't experienced a ton in business yet. I'm kind of hitting those, those hurdles now being like, it's going into my second year of business. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but you've been, you've been not so much a maker of businesses for ages, but you've certainly been a, uh, to use Seth Godin's words very well, you've been a linchpin, right? Oh, Wow. That's nice. That's a nice title. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I was in the right place at the right time in, in my, my twenties and, and sort of in the space where I was like, I, I grew up in, uh, Northern California. And so when I was in my early twenties, I was right in the middle of all of the sort of new tech boom that happened, you know, and was in a circle of friends who were all creating things and being creators. And, and you kind of like rode that way for a little bit. So, yeah, I, I really, I mean, I don't necessarily believe in luck at all. Um, I think I think luck is, is something lazy people use mm. a lot, you know. 
uh, but I'm scrappy and <laughs> I work really, really hard and I've been, I have been fortunate to meet the right kind of people, you know, not always when they were at the top of their game, but you know, certainly it's, it's great to have friends in high places, I guess. I don't know. Well, right, let's, let's go to your twenties then, I guess. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's start about maybe let's go a different, a whole different angle. Let's, yeah. let's ask you the easiest way I ask a lot of the guests that have ever been on this show is. Where did you get started? Was it way back in, you know? What am I getting started in? Where, where did I get started in, in the in the like the tech industry? Yeah, or? yeah, I guess. Where did you first realize some of the passions you have today? Where did the, the early beginnings begin to get you to where you are today? You know, I'm not really sure. I guess my passions for the whole tech industry started really, really, really small because when I was 18, 19, you know, going into college, I wanted to be a writer. That was really what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to write history textbooks, like American history textbooks for high school level. And, um, as a, you know, I, I would always sort of like seek out outlets for my writing, but it was right around the time that blogging started and whatever. And I met this dude through friends of friends. I'm not really even sure how, who had started little something called blogger. Uh, that's so just a little something. I, it's a little, just a little thing, this little dude named Evan. And, you know, that was my scene of friends was all people who were documenting their lives online. We did that sort of unabashedly for a long time, not really ever thinking that any of us were ever going to grow up and work at Google and sell books and speak at conferences. I, I don't think that was ever in anyone's like eyesight, eyeline, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, through that, I, you know, I, I was blogging. I had a, a pretty, I guess, semi-well-known or well-known blog. And then I started a shopping blog called Oh My, That's Awesome. <laughs> that was a collaborative blog. That is awesome. Between me and a few other writers that became very, very um, blog famous, if you will. And it's really funny because that was, gosh, oh, man. I started that in 2004, 2003, 2004, so almost 10 years ago. And I still have people... Um, remembering me from that that's funny though that uh i remember the start of blogging a little differently than maybe you do and maybe i came in a little later because i thought the year the blog was in like the 04 to 06 range well i think maybe when it when it became more like more mainstream right. <laughs> than that like i'm saying like this was when i was blogging this was like a long time ago i even have this picture that is so funny that it's it was like a webcam picture taken at evan williams house and it's like me we're like staring intently into the computer trying to upload a photo to my blogspot site for the very first time like this was before you could even just upload a photo you know, let alone have a free Tumblr or right. a free Facebook with, or, you know, a Flickr with all of your pictures on it. So, you know, that was sort of the advent of this stuff. But then I think what happened is when it became 2006, 2007, I was so over that, you know, I, I had kind of you were moved done, on. Huh? I was done. And I was, you know, it also got really super snarky, especially among women writers online, um, it, it it sort of became like a oh, mean girls outpost, which is hilarious, too, because most of the time people go to the Internet because they're not great in real life. Right. So people have this ability to then become like Internet famous or Internet rock star or whatever and live out all those fantasies of being popular and and everyone knows it's kind of weird, huh? 
it's really weird and sort of ridiculous. And I really didn't want to be in that crowd. Um, you know, I didn't, yeah, I, I certainly then I think learned early, early on that I didn't want to expose so much of my private life as much as I had been. So I shut down my, the private site. I was started writing a little bit more, um, creative fiction, you know, creative nonfiction on my blog. And then I just sort of gave it up altogether because I, yeah, blogging was just kind of over. Was it because of the female thing or what? Well, I don't know. I think the personal side of what I mean, you know, it was a more of a personal side of it. You know, um, I had started a job at a tech company and I didn't want people cross-referencing my job, my very public job there with having this, life led online, right. right? I was moving into circles where I had my friends and, and my employer and whatever cl- people close to me didn't want inner workings of things publicized, right? So there <laughs> wasn't like a lot of content right. at that point. I couldn't go talk about my job. Um, and I think I just, I think I just grew out of it, you know? I think I was at a point in blogging in 2007, 2008, where I am with Pinterest right now, where as soon as, like, mainstream middle America catches on, I'm out. I'm just, I'm over it. Yeah, I see. I saw somebody (laughs) have a Pinterest strategy the other day, and it was a mind map. That was even on top of it was a mind map. And I was like, oh, my Lord, it's a mind map of a Pinterest strategy. What are we doing? And I think, too, like, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't become someone who was investing their career in writing a personal blog because I've seen, you know, so many of my friends in that space who are now like career bloggers or people are invested in their lives. They're going through really horrible, shitty personal stuff and it has to be documented for page views or for to keep their income up or whatever. But I wouldn't want to be talking about my mental health problems or death in the family or divorce uh, in a, in a medium where people were just, you know, pulling out their lawn chair and popcorn to read about my woes. That's not what I wanted for my life. I mean, I really thought that when I was probably like 19, What kind of person does that though? You know, (laughs) that's, that's what I think. Do you think like that? So the personal blogging aspect thing, like, and you said you tried it out a little bit in in a sense. And then you also had your, I think it's really weird because, you know, I'm a very effervescent person. I'm a very uh, social, engaging, uh, semi-extroverted like kind of person. But I am not an attention seeker. And I don't want attention on to me, you know. I don't like being sung happy birthday at Chevy's. Like, I don't want any of that kind of stuff. I but hate I think when they sing to me. I know, right? Yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not my game at all. No, not my game at all. Not my game at all. So, um, I... I like the attention of those who know me and love me well and want to hear my funny stories at parties. I don't need it from other people, right? I think that I think that there are people who need that legitimately. And those people usually channel it into really great creative mediums, you know, singers, actors, you know, whatever, dancers. Um, where the blogging world comes into play is that we told everyone, anyone can be famous writing about just tell us all about your your life and everyone will eat it up right so we had this market saturation we had like the Krispy Kreme problem with mommy blogs out there and then there becomes this competition between them and then there's there's snarkiness and then there's you know I'm gonna tell all the details of my crazy fucked up life sorry uh, <laughs> you know online and I'm gonna get all the attention for it and I I feel like there's a, there's a Especially like in that world of mommy blogging, it seems like there's a competition to be the the worst, have the worst life. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
have like the worst. The more the drama, worst, right? The more drama. And I just It's almost yeah, like I, Desperate Housewives or You know what? Yeah, and I'm even at a point in my life where law and order gets me like itchy. Like I can't even take that kind of drama right now. Well, speaking so, of TV, you you run a TV podcast. You run a TV podcast. I love TV. What's the TV what's TV. the podcast called so we can plug it? It's called TV BFF. It's on the Save the Artist Network. I host it with Chase Clemens, who's a good friend of mine. And we both really love TV writing. Again, it comes down to like the writing aspect. You know, we're not like, we don't talk about reality TV and we're not blobbing out over the Kardashians. But um, I think, you know, television is a, is a, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. What are some <laughs> of your favorite, favorite shows? Like ones you absolutely DVR? Oh my gosh. That oh wow that my DVR list is pretty extensive. I really hey, love let me ask you one more question before you go into that. Yeah. How, how often sure. do you play the I gotta delete this to record that game? We do- <laughs> so I can re- I can record four things at once, and I have two boxes in my house. Wow. Okay. So I don't really have like too much. Yeah, I don't really have that much problem. You know, I also stream a lot on Netflix. I watch like. Okay, so like my favorite is like Luther on the BBC is fantastic. I love all of the BBC dramas. They actually call they refer to their drama programming as Dramaville. Really? Which is <laughs> like the best mommy blog name ever. Uh, I love Lost. I actually just finished rewatching Lost the entire season. In I about love a week it. And rewatching and, it is best. Yeah, I rewatched the whole thing in about a week and a half. Yeah, that's Six. that's tough. Wow. You must have like no. what, three or four so, a day? Oh, way more than that. Way more than that. I work from home, so sometimes I'll just have it on. That's not watching it, though, right? Well, yeah, I mean... That's cheating. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, um, I'm training for a a marathon. I'm I'm actually training for two half marathons, so I'm saying that I'm training for a marathon. So it's been too hot here in Chicago for me to run outside. So I've been running on my treadmill indoors, and that's prime TV viewing right there, you know? So anyway, that would probably be, like... Like, my second career would have been, like, television writing production sort of stuff. Uh, So Lost is a big favorite. Game of Thrones is amazing. I love that show. I love Downton Abbey, of course. Who doesn't? Do you not like it? No. I don't even think I've heard of that one. I, I watch TV, but... Well, Downton Abbey is pretty amazing. Well, on the subject of Lost, though, were you pretty excited about Prometheus? Just curious. No. No? Just considering the, the writer that was also co-involved in that? No. No. All right. Let's go back to TV, then. I won't derail you. More TV? Okay. Yeah, Downtown Teach. Abbey. I don't I haven't watched it's, that one. It's Downton. It's Downton. Downton. It's a masterpiece theater. Sherlock on the BBC, one of the greatest TV shows ever made, I think. Um. Such a good TV show. I love Revenge this year. That was like a fun Dramaville sort of show, like fun, lighthearted drama. Um, yeah, you know, there's I don't know. There's there's a lot of really great TV, and I really am loving America's Got Talent this year too. I love Howard Stern, so I love that he's on on the show. Yeah, me and my wife we watched that one too. It's a lot of fun. Do Do you recall the this? I think this might be either a rumor or it's mostly true but do you recall the the soldier who was singing that one? Oh yeah oh yeah 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 he's a fake he's a fraud that's what i heard and yeah. no details have been released do you have any links for that we'll share them in the show notes because I, I i've been wanting to find it but i just haven't had time to search yeah i don't know anything other than what the media has portrayed is that like the day after his show aired the the 
the guy who was actually in the photograph that he said was a photograph of him in combat called the show and said, hey, that's actually a picture of me. Wow. That was on the internet. <laughs> but this gets back to this thing. Like Drama. Maybe this, this guy just should have probably had a blog and gotten it all over with if he Man. needed attention so bad. Right? How sad is that, though? Pretty sad to me. I think attention-seeking is very sad. Yeah. Well, I think it's the know? reality TV stuff. You said you don't talk about reality TV on your show, but it's the reality TV portion of it. I think it just, like... Uh, well, it's it's not just for housewives. It's the wives something, right? Oh, the Real Housewives. Yeah, Real Housewives. Like, yeah. all, it's Real all Housewives about... will make anybody feel better about their their own lives in oh, ten yeah. seconds. And I then, mean, like, they had murders and da- death and stuff. Honestly, if you feel down about anything, if if you feel guys, if you think your wife is crazy, watch that. Just watch an episode, yeah. and you will be <laughs> so happy. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I. Those shows aren't shows like IDVR, but if, you know, I don't know. They're fun. I think so much of reality TV is um, contrived. It's so contrived these days, too. And and it's weird that producers are constantly seeking to put people in very dramatic, crazy situations just to see how they'll react. Um, you know, it's sort of like having animals in cages and with a hot poker, I guess. <laughs> Good point there. Well, let's take a let's take a quick break and. Thank one of our sponsors, and we'll come back, and we got some some more things to talk about for sure. So just a sec. Our first sponsor is Dark Sky. It's a new kind of weather app for iOS. It uses state-of-the-art weather forecasting to predict when it will rain or snow down to the minute at your exact location. And it presents it to you alongside the most beautiful radar visualizations you've ever seen. Stunning. It looks really cool. You see the actual path of the storm. And it'll tell you when it's going to rain. You can check this out by going to 5x5.darkskyapp.com or by searching for Dark Sky in the iTunes App Store. All right, so let's talk about being inspired. What inspires Uh, you? You know, um... Different things than what used to inspire me. That that I don't know if that's that's an age thing or if it's a life thing or, or whatever. But I'm I'm very inspired by um, stillness and, and calm things and things that are quiet. <laughs> and I think anybody who has known me since I was 25 is like probably laughing because um, I'm not those things. I'm not still or quiet or you know <laughs> calm. I guess, but that's sort of been uh, like my mission this year in, in, in wanting to change my lifestyle and, um, change my thought process. So, you know, I mentioned on the other show, like I really enjoy being by the water. I'm, I'm, uh, belong to a private beach up here in Chicago and it's really nice. It's like quiet. I go up there a lot, like probably two or three times a week and just sit there for an hour. Um, I really like being outside, not in the city because <laughs> like in Chicago, I don't even realize until people come and visit me how how loud it is here constantly. Like I'm desensitized to the sirens going off all the right. time. Yeah, it would drive you me know? crazy. Oh, I don't even hear them anymore. So, you know, is that a firework or a gunshot? Don't know. Don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> so I like to be both. out Yeah, both, right? Uh so I like to be, you know, in quiet places. And and for for me, honestly, that's why Traveling is sometimes such a such a very calming experience for me, getting on a plane, because that engine hum sort of speaks to me <laughs> in a way. It, it fogs everything out. And so 
if I have a three hour plane ride, you know, I really like, I'm looking forward to that, that quiet time. Um, I don't have a lot of that in my life. You know, my life is a series of phone calls. So it's, it's stuff that I kind of seek out. I'm inspired by great writing. I'm inspired by beautiful, like simple objects. Um, Give me an example of a beautiful, simple object. A beautiful, simple object. You know, I saw this on Pinterest the other day. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was this series of wooden, like carved wooden camera cases. But not like iPhone cases. I mean like old, like 1960s cannons that they had replaced the plastic, that you know, that pebbled leather plastic feel with like these beautiful carved wooden faces, which I'll show you the link to it. I mean, they're gorgeous. And stuff like that where even like, I mean, I even have like a walnut iPhone cover, like small, intricate, simple design like that. I love the craftsmanship that goes behind it. I love that someone thought out that to do that. I love that they found the right materials to do it, that they like perfected how to make it look beautiful, you know? Um, I love that stuff too. I think it's, you know, we, if we really think about the word you said in the first show too, that you're a craftsman, you said you're a lover of the sea, you're a craftsman. <laughs> I think you meant craftsperson if we're being politically correct, but nonetheless, yeah. you know, you're a crafty kind of person. And that's, yeah. I think a lot of us are who are, um, you know, being internet famous in any sort of way or just doing this internet thing. I sort of think so too, because I think most of the day we, we do create things. We're creating things with symbols and numbers, right? Yeah. We're, we're pecking them into a black screen and watching it scroll by. But this gives us a way to put that energy into creating something physical that real is objects, sustainable. Yeah. It's a real object. It's really in front of us. And, and, and I think that most of the people that I know who are programmers or designers have, they share a love for the same thing, architecture, nature, like the beauty and simplicity of a tree leaf up close, <laughs> you know, like beautiful cars. I'm really into cars. Um, and I, I, it's all about taking components and making the, them beautiful. Right. Yeah. So, well, this, this, this world has got a, a design beyond, I mean, the greatest designer is really God. I mean, the, the person who created this world, it's, it's intense. Like you look at a leaf up close, you can see the, the ecosystem inside this leaf to make it possible. The photosynthesis and the growth and the enzymes and all these different things that make this little leaf be able to. Take in carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, just even shapes in nature, colors yeah. in nature, colors in nature are, are beautiful things, you know. And so, anyway, so yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of it. I guess that's. I've I've been seeking out more quiet and stillness, like I said, and and most of the time, like crafting something or creating something with your hands is is can be a very still and relaxing moment for you if you do it right <laughs> i guess <laughs> you know it's like my dad when i was a kid we went to the state fair my dad got this tool this like weird handy tool called a clamp tight and i really don't even know what this was other than it was a hand tool that he could he could use to affix things to each other with hmm. but he would go around he i remember one summer he cut up this old rubber hose cut it in half so it was like a like half a pipe tubing and then would just affix pieces of this rubber hose to anything that had a similar shape for no reason other than just to sort of like use this tool, right? <laughs> he wasn't actually like fixing anything. He was just using this weird tool that he had. 
So it's sort of like, I sometimes think that when we're creating spaces, we're doing that same thing. Like we really just want to create, you know, we, we just want to be, not be idle with our hands. We want to just take the tools that we have in front of us and do fun, awesome things with them, which is why it's, you know, people make an iPhone app overnight or they have a new Tumblr or they create, you know, whatever funny Photoshop picture. So that's, that's the culture that we live in, in our, in our little internet world. Well, to speak uh, a little closer to, to inspiration, you and I actually share um, a common thread between between some of our inspiration because I too have been inspired by um, Gary Vaynerchuk as well as Tony oh, Shea. Yeah. So um, Gary was, you know, truth be told, Gary was a, a big inspiration for me when he came out with his book Crush It. Not so much to get into the social media game; it was more so that I was already producing a podcast and. He made me realize it was a true passion of mine, and to and to you know, quite literally try to crush it. So, yeah, you know, this Gary's, podcast. Gary's and- great. Um, I I don't know that I I necessarily agree with with his crush it. <laughs> <Yeah. book. laughs> well, there's but- parts of it I want to take from it, like the you know, pursue your yeah, passion, and you exactly. don't have to earn fifty thousand dollars a year from that corporate job because you can totally make that on the side doing something you're really passionate about. And it's just you're trading, you know, you're trading your value of your life in ways that you don't really think so. It depends yeah. on the person you are, but I really, I really enjoy his message. Not so much the exact intent of that book, but yeah. I wish I could take out a couple of chapters and you know just kind of. I yeah, and that's what I think you should do with anything. Take take from it what's the most important to you. But I met Gary a long time ago. I met him maybe um, maybe a year before Crush It came out um, through my old my old job, and then when he did, uh, he had a. a, a a book about wine that came out. And I think that's how I met him for the first time was on that book tour. But anyway, we became friends. He was always like a great fun person to talk to about work and life and stuff. And I remember this one time we were at a conference and his brother AJ was there and it was a conference kind of like my work was involved in. And I made AJ a sandwich because he just gotten off a flight and we were standing there together, the three of us. And AJ was so grateful that I had made him the sandwich. And Gary looked at me and he said, you got to get out of here. You got to go do your own thing. And it was, I mean, uh, probably three years before I ended up starting my business. But it was, he was the very first person to ever tell me like, you, you could do, you could have your own business. You could run your own show. You could actually be way better than what you're letting yourself be right now. And I never thought about that because I wasn't ever in a position. Am I like, I hadn't come from a position where I was being told like, you're doing a great job. (laughs) Like (laughs) ever, you know, I didn't work for a company that ever did anything like that. So it was weird to hear that from the outside. Um, And I had almost the exact same experience with Tony meeting him and like Twitter DMing with him where I said something sort of offhand about like, I'm just a lowly support person. And he wrote me back like, don't ever say that because you're like the backbone of that company. And it was like, you know, there are people out there that aren't just like encouraging you to, you know, butter you up for anything. They're, they're encouraging you with their own passion of life, you know, and, um, so they were both very influential for me in, in sort of thinking, like, I think I, could, I think I could go do this. But Gary especially, you know, um, I, I, I don't know if I owe him everything, but I, he, he was always over the next few years and then until I, I started my own company, he was very supportive and just making me feel like I could accomplish something, you know? I think he's a, he's a rare individual. He certainly is, yeah. He, 
and I can I can see that too. I want to I want to actually go uh, deeper into that particular topic of you starting your company and stuff. And it's just nice <laughs> to see that that common thread though, because Gary's uh, I've done this show for a while. I've I do also the industry radio show with Drew Wilson and, and Jared Arondu. I've also run and co-hosted the Changelog podcast for a number of years now with Win Netherland, and I've had a chance to be on a mic kind of like this in in a sense yeah. and in odd moments and sometimes in non-odd moments um get to drop the line of gary vaynerchuk and a lot a lot on this show and in particular his book crush it and uh, i think he did great and tony's book you know uh delivering happiness was uh, i loved hearing more about his story but at the same time yeah. it really dawned on me a year ago and i don't know why we don't see this earlier in life uh and it comes like this and it has to come in a form of a book like like from tony but it really is about happiness. You know, he had so many yeah. different moments in his life where he could have, you know, if we go back to part one where where you were looking at uh, having your company acquired and what that would have done to your life and your happiness, you know, he's had similar moments like that all along the, the, the pathway of Zappos yeah. and other companies he started. So, I mean, in the end, it was like, you know, I could do that, but it, would it give me any more happiness? So Yeah, and happiness is relative. You know, and and happiness is like we are so obsessed with being happy in this culture. We are so obsessed with finding happiness and and getting to the thing that makes us happy. And I think, you know, where I was January 2011, I started my company by June of 2011. I was already really burnt out. And I think I was burnt out because I was my own boss. I had employees that I could that, you know, listened to me and respected me and, and wanted to support me. I had sort of the ear to the industry, like everyone was very interested in what co-support was doing because no one was doing it yet. Um, I was making money, like I had made almost double my previous annual salary in six months, you know, by myself. And I was a female, like 30-year-old female. That's kind of like (laughs) unheard of, you know, to be that successful so quickly. And I was totally miserable. I was completely miserable. I was very unhealthy. Um, I was in this really complicated, long-term, horrible relationship with someone that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, but didn't actually ever want to be in the same room with them at the same time. (laughs) And I was very, like, unhappy. But I had all of the statistical things in life that should have made me um, perfectly content. Drove an Audi, lived in a three-bedroom condo by myself, had beautiful appliances that talked to me every time I turned them on. It was like the Jetsons, you know? And I, I wasn't happy. You think and it was just a matter of too much or? No, I don't think it had anything to do with any of that stuff. I don't, I don't think that's what happiness de- is derived from. I think happiness is derived from your, your purpose in life and your value system and whether you're staying true to those things and whether you're seeking out you know, your true purpose. And I think that, you know, part of my purpose is to be an educator and to, to make our little tech world, our little place of the earth where the internet happens and we build things for people online. My part of my purpose is to make that place better by teaching people how to make it better. Right. But, um, I, uh, yeah. So I started, that was like in June and let's pay some timelines. June of what year? June of 2011. Okay. It was about 30 days before my thir- my 31st birthday. Um, I spent the weekend of my birthday out of town and sort of like I was with a good friend of mine who we she and I went to pizza. We went antiquing and she was just like, yeah, so you just sort of just seem like, you know, kind of blah. 
And she was like really the first person to tell me to my face. Even my therapist at that point had kind of been letting me figure things out on my own, but not really pressing it and putting a mirror in front of my face. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I know what is making me unhappy. This relationship I'm in is making me unhappy. This person is making me unhappy. This, you know, these friends that are unsupportive of me are making me unhappy. So, um, I don't know that I did everything the best and most mature way, but I really started like cutting stuff out of my life, like, um, full on like Ninja Turtle shredder kind of way. Right. I just came at it with these like blade nails and I would tell people like, are you in, are you out? This is what I need from you. Can you offer it to me? And if they paused or, or, or didn't know, I would just be like, I can't, I can't be a part of it anymore. And I was like, that was like this. This is funny. You give them an option. You know, because most people don't, right? They just be like, uh, and you're done. Sorry. I think, yeah. So maybe that, maybe that was weird and right of me. I don't know. I don't, I don't, looking back on it, I don't think it was the most mature thing in the world for me to do. But I, I, I really told people like to their faces, this is the point in my, my life. Am I at, here are my needs. Can you meet them? If you can't, I can't be around you. What were your needs? I'm just really curious what kind of needs you were telling these people. Well, like I was in this, I was in this back and forth on and off eight year long relationship with this person who, you know, we had all these big, huge, great feelings for each other with zero commitment to each other. And I was like, I'm not into this anymore. I can't do this anymore. You're either going to commit to me or you're not going to commit to me. And he couldn't even tell me yes or no. And that was even worse. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's like, that was part of what I had done to myself is I had taught people around me how to treat me by accepting their behavior towards me. You know, on my 27th birthday, I accepted that this guy made me split the bill for my birthday dinner, right? If I hadn't oh, done man. that at 27... Dump <laughs> that guy. That, what a loser. Well, if I hadn't done that at 27, if I had said, no, I don't think I should have to pay for my birthday dinner, I probably wouldn't have stayed in that same situation with him three years later and then be at that point where I was like at a breaking point, right? right. You teach people how to treat you. You train them That's on what true. you'll accept. Whatever you allow is what people are going to give back to you. That's good advice right there. So Say that again, please. Whatever you allow is what people are going to give back to you. And I had allowed people to treat me like shit. I had allowed everyone in my life to treat me like I was not a successful, talented, beautiful person. Right? I was being told that I was, you know, if I, <laughs> if I wanted someone to pay for my birthday dinner, that I was being dramatic and making a big deal out of things. Well, pointing out somebody's bad behavior towards you is not being dramatic and it's not being crazy and it's not being overly emotional. It's simply pointing out their bad behavior. And if they don't accept that they have bad behavior and apologize for it and do something to rectify that and repair the relationship, you don't need to be in a relationship with them at all. And that goes for family, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, teachers, whatever. Well, let's be honest. I mean, you know, this is Founders Talk and... Uh, most companies are started with two people. So, and Stephen and Alan will tell you that relationship is a lot like marriage. So, this is good advice. I think, regardless, that you're you're coming at it from a different <laughs> perspective. But for those who are listening, you know, and you might have thought, "Hey, I'm going to tune out here for a second. You should totally tune right back in because Sarah's yeah. advice applies to startups too, and and the business you're it building. It really does. It really applies to your bosses. I had bosses who didn't give a shit about my opinions and told me every time I ha- I had an opinion that I was being too loud and annoying and to stop it. And that's what I allowed them because I thought that that I thought that was appropriate from a boss to an employee. That's not it okay. Wasn't. Not okay. You know. So um, 
So that was in June. And then I turned 31 on July 1st and spent the month in kind of reflection about stuff. And I was telling my therapist, who, if you are in a startup, if you've started a company, if you're founding a company, please go to therapy. I tell people all the time, all you need to do is find a therapist and tell them that you're starting a company. They'll know what to do. They'll do the rest. <laughs> really? I've never gotten this advice before. Besides marital issues, the number one reason that people... Uh, over the age of 30 go to therapy statistically is because of changing of jobs, like changing of career paths. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I went to like hardcore, like psychoanalysis too, like not just like a counselor. Well, you know what happens at 32, <laughs> your brain, it's, uh, you know, I learned this actually, cause I, I had to go to Sally last summer. I was, I was pretty bummed out. I got, it's a long story that uh, doesn't need to be told on this show. And I'm not crazy. So don't think that, but Okay, I, I went to two sessions of, of uh, I guess, quote-unquote therapy, yeah. um, and I got some really good advice, and that was all I needed. I only needed two sessions, and after that, I was like right back to See, me. This is the thing. Some people think – people think they – I think they get afraid of the words therapy because it sounds like you're crazy. broken, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're going to go not. on medication. They're going to put you in a hospital. But most of the time, you really just kind of need some great advice. Hey, well, you forget that those people went to school and studied the brain. And you forget, yeah, it's, you know, it's they know physiological. It a lot of this stuff, you know, for me, like I had undiagnosed sort of weird depression issues that were more environmental, that were me being in these bad relationships or having these patterns of relationships that needed to be addressed and sort of yeah. figured out, right? So I had been seeing him for over a year and um, I had been telling him, like, I, I really think I want to retreat somewhere and just go away and be alone and get away from things. And so he said... Um, do it. And I was really weirded out by that because I think that's something that I still struggle with. Like I was just talking to Steve Bristle about this yesterday morning. And he said to me, very exasperated, Sarah, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. I, I love Steve because <laughs> that is so something he'd say, Adam, so, Sarah, you don't got to do nothing. You don't want to do. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> and my therapist was the same way. He was like, go do it. I felt like I was asking, seeking permission from someone to say, like at that point, I really just thought I wanted a vacation, but what I really needed was like to get away. So, so that's what a I disconnect. did. Disconnect. So disconnect. Yeah. So that's what I did. Like the first week of August, I told this guy who I loved so dearly, who was my best friend in the world, are you in? Are you out? He didn't give me an answer. And I, that afternoon, I booked like a one way trip all, all by myself to the Virgin Islands. A one way trip. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was the plan. That was the plan. It, I mean, this is the thing. I was at a point in my life where I could go, I could go to the Virgin Islands at the drop of a hat. I could pay six, seven hundred dollars for a one-way ticket at a, in, stay at a hotel with a private beach. Like I could do all this stuff, right? I was being really like cutting through the grass and making the trails and all my relationships and saying, "You're out, you're out. I don't need you. I don't need you." And I get down there, and I'm standing on the beach. And this private beach, there's a big beach bar behind me and they're playing steel drum music and they've got free, you know, bushwhacker drinks and it's beautiful. And literally, I'm standing, standing on the beach, my feet in the sand and the waves crashing up. And there's just see, the, the shore is just littered with dead starfish. And it was just a weird moment for me to be like, crap, I am still not away from all of this crappy shit. I have to deal with. I'm still not happy, right? So, so now I'm like, well, okay. Obviously, happiness is not me being myself on a by myself on a private beach. So I have a friend come down and visit, come with me, 
She stays through the weekend. We rent a sailboat. We go sailing and snorkeling. We get so seasick that we're like not even enjoying any part of this trip, right? So the sea <laughs> sailing charter takes us to um, Keneal Bay, where we were going to go for part of our trip. And Keneal Bay is like $4,000 a night cabins that you can rent in a national park in the Virgin Islands. And, and this, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to call her the sailor or the captain or whatever this boat is like, oh yeah, Brad and Angelina are always here. There's always famous people here. They go there to get away. You guys are going to love it. You're going to love it. So <laughs> we're like pulling into this like little bay to, to dock or whatever. And you can see people sitting on their private porches in their little cabins and their $5,000, $4,000 night cabins. And we pull up and sort of stumble onto the beach and are just puking all over the beach. Oh we're my. so seasick. I mean, so seasick. And then <laughs> it's so much worse because people are watching us throw up Ugh. on the beach, right? Here I am with my $4,000 a night beach puking all over it because I had to, you know, find happiness by renting a sailboat for the day. So then I have to swim back to the sailboat and I had to literally swim through my own vomit crashing back at me uh, in these waves. Oh, man. <laughs> through just like schools of anchovies. I mean, it was miserable. It was miserable. And I... I laid in the boat bobbing up and down in the middle of the Caribbean sea, just miserable, like not even having money and going to a beautiful vacation and getting alone time is making me happy. You know, what, what is it going to take at this point? So it, it took me a while to sort of figure out that I shouldn't say it took me a while. It took me a solid, like two or three months, like June, July, August or so. And then, um, after into September, I started realizing that so much of it was just because I didn't really have a great, like, purpose and centeredness inside of me. Even in what I was doing, like, I didn't have a purpose for my company. I didn't have a purpose for having a company other than I had a, a house payment. I didn't, you know, I had no other reason for being an entrepreneur. Um, and so I, I had always, like had a very distant relationship with spirituality and had been raised in the Christian church and had been a part of that. But sort of like randomly out of the blue, I had met someone in the Virgin Islands who studied uh, TM, which is the Transcendental Meditation, which is not a religion, but it's a meditational practice. And she was raving about it and raving about it, raving about it. And it sounded like very hippie and hokey to me. And I got home and started researching it and then hired someone to teach me how to do it. And, um, I don't think meditation changed my life. I think that giving myself permission to be quiet and alone and not work twice a day for 30 minutes is what changed my life and changed my perspective. Um, it's again, it's like not a religious thing. You're not chanting. It's not like whatever it's the TM is what all the celebrities do, right? Like right? Howard Stern and Russell Simmons. And they all like talk about how it changed their life. It changed their life. But I think that the, that reason is the same reason why it worked for me is because I had this nonstop chaotic life where everyone wants to interview me and my phone's ringing all the time and I'm doing work for people. And I had nothing that was really to myself and that was enriching me as a person. Right. I know that feeling sometimes. I mean, you can get into some some work-life habits that get completely out of sync and you've got things that matter to you immensely in your life and somehow yeah. you get you just get totally behind that eight ball in in all ways. 
that's the reason I think why I, I cringe a little bit thinking about Crush It. I cringe a little when I hear people at conferences talking about like, you just got to bro it out. You just got to like plow through and, you know, you got to want it more than you want a very like your breath. Like I heard some guy at a conference say that recently. <laughs> he was telling. Forget it, man. You know the story, like the story that if you know who I'm talking about, you know who he tells us at conferences. But he tells a story about the guy who saw the, you know, Japanese master on the beach and was like, how can I be successful? And he's like, you know, come here, I'll show you and takes him out into the water and shoves him under. And the guy's fighting for breath and fighting to, to live and fighting to survive and finally gets up to the surface. And the master tells him, you have to want it more than you want that one breath. And I'm listening to this, this conference like. That is such bullshit, encouraging people to want a job more than they want to breathe, to want to make a web app more than they want to take a next breath. That's ridiculous, you guys. It's ridiculous. I, I learned my lesson sacrificing my personal life for not even my own company, for the old company I used to work for, yeah. you know? And it's just not worth it. It's not worth it at all. I don't think anything is worth sacrificing time alone and time to be, you know, to not think about work a bit. It's <laughs> certainly not an iPhone app. I have to agree. I still have to agree. We have a we have a, a different turn we want to take here. Kind of diving a little further into the same or similar to- topic. But uh, before we do that, we want to have Dan do us a favor and and tell us about an awesome sponsor that supports this show. So we'll be back in just a second. Our second sponsor is Sifter Stickers. Now, this is an unusual sponsor for us here at 5x5 because it's not software. It's not service. It's not a productivity tool, but I think you'll like it just the same. Sifter Stickers is a book. It has 73 essays whose topics uh, loosely correspond to areas of interest by the book's author. Jack is out. Sort of like the old uh, Andy Rooney segments on 60 Minutes, but without the crusty cantankerousness, of course. Why the name Sifter Stickers? Well, the, uh, the great Stephen King once drew a metaphor between the human mind and a sifter, where most of the information presented is filtered through the holes and lost forever. But some of the information sticks to the sifter. Well, paying tribute to Stephen King, whose work Jack enjoys immensely, the title of this book helps to uh, explain the contents, essays about material that at some point found its way into his mind. You can get this as a paperback book. A downloadable PDF file. It's in the Amazon Kindle store, Apple Books, iBook store, Barnes and Noble Nook store. It's everywhere. And you can just search for Sifter stickers in any of those stores. Or better yet, get the direct links at sifterstickers.com. Think you'll enjoy the book. Thanks very much to Jack for his support of 5x5. All right. So we've been talking about meditation and how that's changed your life. <laughs> we've been talking about swimming that through. so ridiculous swimming through my own vomit yeah. we talked about that a little bit yeah. every time so i tell someone about my meditation stuff i feel like they're they think i'm like i'm in, i'm i'm not like handing out pamphlets at the airport or something <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that it's not like crazy hokey religious stuff at all not that religion's crazy i'm just saying it's not religious you can you can meditate and not be religious about it you can be spiritual and not be religious about it right adam i think so yeah i think we'll I don't do meditation. I don't really. I'm not an expert in this field, but I would say, do you mean by like religious as in like a religion, like like worship, or do you mean like yeah, as yeah, in well, a yeah. ritual religion? No, I meant like a like a worship, like a deity worship. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's a tough one because I think you can start out one way, and and after a while, you oh, you, you can become worshiping it. 
there there are people that do TM that do have religious practices based around it, but the actual practice of it is not religious. Yeah, so, you know, I uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I've never meditated. I don't even do yoga, you know. You should give them both a try. Yoga is good for your heart rate. Well, you know, I think it's, it's um yeah, it's they're good practices of what they do to your body. You know, that's certainly certainly but true. It's, Giving it's you, not just your body. I think if you really dedicate yourself to it and give yourself that time, you know, it really calms everything about your personality. It's bizarre. You know, that all our bodies sometimes need is some is some great deep breathing and, and relaxation and yeah. good deep rest. breaths are good for your brain. Yeah, right. Because if you're talking on the phone all day long, you're giving yourself. Let's say you have an average conversation for around an hour. You know, it's an hour conversation with a client. You when you're talking like we're talking now, even now, our breaths are shorter, lighter, faster. Right. Mm-hmm. And our brains aren't getting the kind of oxygen it should get whenever you sit in a deep still calm right. situation for a good half hour and just give your brain the kind of food it needs, whether it's the, the break right. or the oxygen level or just to pursue its own deep design. Your brain is a, is something you don't even know about. It's complex. Like no, it does things true. you don't even know about. It's storing memories. You didn't even know you wanted to store. It's conjuring <laughs> things up. I might've said something them. during this podcast. You're like, yeah, I remember my mom or something like that. You know, yeah. weird stuff in your brain. Yeah, that you I, don't know. Control. Well, I tell people all the time that when I first started doing, meditation because um, I had like a meditational teacher I had someone actually teaching me and training me how to do it which is maybe a little bit overboard but no, again, I mean, you know, that's where I was in life I, I crush tell it right it, what? if you're going to do it crush it right <laughs> yeah right crush it. I tell people that it feels like my brain exhales yeah I, I can you know? agree with that yeah anyway anyway moving on so you know I think we kind of alluded to a little bit of this but uh we talked about Instagram, a billion dollars, and just this immense amount of money. I know, and I said $3 million, and I meant to say $30 million. That's how much they got in their second series funding, not $3 million. That's a lot of money. I know, it's still a lot of money, still but I don't know why money. I said $3 million, as if $3 million yeah. is a lot of money. You know, you're, you're a human, you make mistakes, you know? I know, right. But, um, anyway. So I want to ask you a question, I guess. Do you, you know, not so much a direct question, so it's more like a kind of a series of questions, so we can kind of just riff on this as we see fit. We kind of talked a little bit about how your life changed and how your business changed. We don't really talk too much about um, how these things in and around money and your relationships and how this impacted co-support and how this impacted yeah. your, your life as a founder and your team and, the, and your staff. So, I mean, yeah. like, do you really need a ton of money? How did money change your life and your business? No. Well, I don't. I I. I think that um, anyone who has a lot of money will tell you <laughs> anyone who has a lot of money will tell you there's problems with having a lot of money. Yeah. Well, you know? the taxes. I mean, people want more taxes. Well, taxes are ridiculous. Yeah. Taxes are. I am the one percent. I think I'm the one percent. I might be the ninety nine percent. Which one is bad? The one percent. Oh, what do you I, mean bad? I think we're not supposed to like the one percent. Yeah, the one percent is a is a a bit. Oh, yeah, that's, those are regardless. super rich people. Yeah, regardless. Are you the one percent? Um, I don't think I don't know. I don't really know what the one percent is, but I I know like in my social circle, I'm way more one percent than anyone else I know. Like in the tech industry circle, I'm probably not. Um, but you know, everything about money changes everything. So you have taxes. There's there's always a, a fee here, a fine there that you have to pay as a business owner. Um, employees always want more money. 
Um, clients don't you know, pay on time. Clients, yeah. I mean, you have to always request money from people, which is really weird. Like asking people money for money is always strange, even if they sign a contract that they owe it to you. That's always weird. Clients always want more for less. They don't want to pay. They want free work from you. Um, you know, they people always really, really want something and then never want to pay full price for it, which I think is kind of a, a, a we're at a place in our industry where everyone is so coupon centric. And so like buy one, get one free that it's really, it's really hurting people who want to have sustainable businesses where they're paid their fair, their fair rate for things. Um, so, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't, (laughs) I don't really know how to talk about that kind of stuff. I think you, let's say I have a million dollars, right? A million dollars solves a lot of problems. It puts me, it gives me uh, more money in the bank for payroll for the next year or so. It lets me uh, go buy a new car if I wanted to buy a new car. It lets me buy a new house if I wanted to buy a new house. But then um, if I have all of those things, I'm having to pay higher insurance rate on the house and the car. You know, I'm having to pay taxes on both of them. I'm having to pay, probably will end up having to pay, hire more employees because at that point I will probably need more people to help me run a bigger business so that I'm paying more taxes for employees and losing the money that I had at the bank for their payroll. So, I mean, all this stuff happens that people don't necessarily think about when they, when they want to build the best iPhone app and sell it to Facebook, you know, which I personally think why there's so much turnover and so much buyout because people create these apps and they create these products and then they don't want to run the business. They don't want to do all the business shit that goes along with it. You know, they don't want to manage 40 employees. They don't even like managing themselves most of the time. So having someone come in and buy your product or buy your company is an easy out. You get some cash and you get all of this hassle behind you. Yeah, there's um when it comes to money for me, there's there's two things that I kind of it's weird though that I lean on these things as like advice. Mm-hmm. Um, have you since you're a, a TV buff, you must like at least a couple movies, right? I mean, you're not just all TV, are you? No, I like some movies. So there's this movie called Blow. It's got Johnny Depp in it, and uh, and there's one particular moment where his his dad says to him, you know, money isn't real, George. It doesn't really matter. It only right. it only seems like it does. Right. And I think that's how we, you know, we attach value to ourselves based upon yeah. how much money we have, you know, what, you know. I can say the same thing about like people's emotions and, and bitterness and feuds. Like my, one of my favorite quotes from the show Six Feet Under is you hang on to your pain like it's worth something. Right. You know, I, uh, we kind of do the same thing with yeah. money. We hang on to the value of money and the perceived value of money in our eyes and what it will do, what it will change us to be, what a better life we'll have if we had it. We hang on to that like it means something, you know. And I think you know Biggie Smalls. Uh, he, he's he's gone <laughs> now, but I mean, I think he is probably the one that coined it the best, right? It's just that you know, more money, more problems. Yeah, he also said, "I had to find the buried treasure, so grams I had to measure." He was quite the scrappy poet. Yeah, I'm really big into gangster rap too. Me too. Like, I mean, not into movies. it, but I mean, I can appreciate uh, the, the lyrics. Poetry. Yeah. The yeah, poetry, the lyrics. You know, I'm a fan of 50 cent. I like his business. I like the way he runs things. I'm not so much a fan of not so much, not water. him as himself <laughs> because 50 cent and Curtis Jackson are two different people, right? You got oh. this persona of 50 cent, which is yeah. who he created to create his albums and how he got out of his yeah. life and where he was at. I think it's really wild when you look at the, 
the people we are and what we have to do to ourselves or what we allow ourselves to do to make money, only really to 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 just find out more about us ourselves, our maker, and when, the direction we're going in life. You know that purpose thing you talked about earlier. Right. Purpose is very important, and I think most of the time people in our industry learn it real late in life. I I, I see it more so that. Um, People are getting married later, maybe having kids later, changing their vision for their companies way later than, um, you know, people outside of the industry, I guess. Staring at a computer all day puts you in a, in a serious bottleneck, you know? And so when you get out of it, you realize I'm 38 years old, I'm single, I'm not married, what do I do? Um, I think you have a little bit more a sense of urgency about getting your shit together. You know, yeah. we, we don't think about that. Like as programmers and designers, a lot of the, the greatest programmers and designers out there starting their jobs when they're 22, which means that their burnout rate, I mean, they're, they're already getting to the point where they've had multiple employers by the time they're 25. That's crazy too. That's, yeah. that's totally the And then the we world. get to the point where they're 30 years old and we're writing about them like they've, they've been industry standards for however long. So imagine, you know, you started a company, work there, you work at multiple companies, I think about my friend Robert Anderson a lot. My, I love Robert Anderson so much. He went to work for Apple straight out of high school. Brilliant designer. Funniest guy in the world. Went to work for Apple. Create, was on the MobileMe team. Got completely ripped apart to shreds by Steve Jobs in person when MobileMe launched. And then went on to, to help build Square with his brother and Jack Dorsey, Buzz Anderson. These are like really good friends of mine. And I, I think like Robert is gosh, maybe 25 now, maybe 26. And he is like, um, like an old man in our industry already. People know him. People look up to him. He's like, I said, like industry standard. He's like 26 years old. You know, what's it going to be like when he's 36 for God's sakes? Uh, yeah, that's, well, that's what happens <laughs> when you either you get started early or success is, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know what the there's recipe gotta, is for I that. I think there's got to be balance to it. That's the thing. Like, I, I think there's got to be balance to, I can still have a company and make money and, and have a product and make money and pursue my career in this industry without it meaning that I have to stay up until 4 a.m. every single night and be refreshing my phone and be answering support emails at 3 in the morning and neglecting my friends and family and coding all day. You know, there's balance to this that, that we, we don't stress enough. Um, and I see it a lot with like my friends who work in the tech industry too, who don't take enough time off or they don't want to take time off because their boss said they can have time off, but then their boss is there working on a holiday. So they feel like they should be working on a holiday. You know, like we, we, in our industry, we, we stress this plow through it, bro out, drink your Red Bull, stay up all night programming. And we don't stress, take time off, find a calm center for yourself once a day, spend 30 minutes, not thinking about work in the middle of your work day. I mean, imagine that. Remember when we used to have lunch breaks? We could just walk away from our desks, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It ruins people. So you know, that's a good point. I mean, you said rowing out a couple of times, and I'm not swinging in this direction just because of, of that mention, but one thing that I'm I'm thinking that some of the listeners are back on this show listening to and desiring to hear from you um, might be from the female perspective of starting a company and some of the challenges you've had kicking up co-support, you know, making the right kind of friends in the business or the industry yeah. and, you know, making it a success. Cause you've, you've made a lot of money with co-support, right? 
Well, I don't think making money is what means you're successful. I mean, no, not, I'm all. sorry. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not the golden standard, but I mean, it's yeah. not to say that's what makes you successful, but sometimes money is somewhat the measure. I mean, you don't start yeah. to start up to not make money, right? Yeah, uh, t- totally agree. I, I mean, I again, this gets back to this whole thing. I was in the right place at the right time. I was very fortunate to work for the last company I worked for because people knew me from that. And so going into it, I already sort of had my A game. Like, I'll admit, like from the start, I had, you know, I had 50 grand in cash to start a company with. I had every single person that you could think of on every, you know, Twitter podcast or (laughs) Twitter podcast, whatever that means, like podcast or whatever. Social media peeps. Social media people. Thank you. Who knew me, who would talk about it. You know, those are my friends. Like, you know, I have a two letter Twitter name. I've been on it for a bazillion years. So I was, I was in the right place at the right time to start a company. Has it been a bazillion years? Just curious. Gosh, I was a beta invite tester when it was art. When oh, that's it was right. Tw- you know Evan Williams. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're totally it right. Twitter, probably- it was Twitter without the without the e, and it was it used to be something called Odeo, which is yeah. when they were building a whole company Way around back. hosting podcasts. And then Apple said, "Well, we're going to host podcasts." Yeah, and their business so- was different. Yeah, that's that's crazy. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, anyway. So yeah, I, derailed you. I was I was in the right place at the right time, and I, I worked really hard with what I had. Like I took already ha- being at that place, and then worked my ass off for a really long time to maintain it. But I think one of the biggest problems that I have as a female business owner, and I don't know, I haven't seen my. I only say this because I haven't seen my male sort of cohorts have the same issue. Is that. Um, uh, people are very interested in our services. People are very interested in getting great support and getting trained on great support, but they don't want to. They don't want to sometimes pay what we want to charge for it. And so I think that there's a hurdle with us trying to get through to people saying like, "It's really worth this much. <laughs> like this is what my my rate is. You know, I'm not just like throwing numbers at you, hoping that you have deep pockets. Like." this is what we know it costs. This is what the value is to it, right? How open are you about your cost to the public in general? Or do you have to ask it for a It depends on what you need. Yeah, no. Oh, no. I, it, we base everything on individuals. So, you know, we used to have like a set price list on our website. But the problem with that is, let's say, we'll say we'll do outsource support for you for $3,000 a month, which is pretty average for, for the support, right? But we're also working with smaller teams. We're working with people who are five to 10 on their team. Maybe they're a one person development team. Maybe they've just launched and they're getting less than 50 emails a day. When you come to me and say, I get 200 emails a day, I can't do 200 emails a day for that rate. That's, that's ridiculous, you know? Right. So that's why we don't really publish specific prices. And we even thought about like, (laughs) should we say that? Like one to 50 emails, 51 to 100 emails, but then it just gets way too complicated. And secondly, when when we're dealing with customers, I want to figure out really what their needs really are. If they tell me they're getting 200 emails a day, I want to figure out why, because that's a huge failure on their part. That's either a big design issue that people don't understand how to use their app or they need better documentation. They need a published help section that's searchable that people can find their answers without having to write support, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So Those are helpful. We, we really try to like customize it to what people's real needs are. Um, but the most I've ever charged is I charged um, 10 grand once for like a three-day in-person training. But that's because I couldn't, I couldn't do any other work. You know what I mean? So you have to make up so, for it, right, yeah. And to make up for it. But it was worth it. I mean, they got out of it exactly what they wanted. And so you said you came into that, that uh, conversation saying that you're not sure 
if it's a if it's the fact that you're a female or a woman founder, but you said your male yeah. cohorts haven't had that problem. What makes you think that though? Just curious. I've asked. Oh, I've asked. I, I mean, and guys don't have problems getting clients to pay good <laughs> money. Or what's what is what is? I it? don't know what it is. I think that I think that uh, when it comes to, I'm the top programmer in my field. I'm part of the Rails core team, or uh, I'm Jason Santa Maria. I can demand X amount of money, and people want to pay it. Well, people know Sarah Hatter. They know at SH. They know my history. They want to talk to me about support stuff and hear my advice, but. Then there's this thing of like, how do I get to them? That I mean, don't get me wrong. We've had great customers. We've had amazing like luck with our customers. If we want to call it luck, if we want to call it happenstance, whatever. But we've had the best kind of customers that are there, right? And I don't necessarily want to have customers who can't really afford me because that's only going to lead to problems with payment down the end of the road, right? So it's, it's a catch-22, but when I started out, when we started first, like trying to adjust our pricing, maybe last fall, I asked a lot of my friends who'd done um, freelance work or had done um, started their own companies. Like, have you ever had this? Have you ever had people come to you and say you're too expensive, or ask you for a discount, or ask you for whatever? And a few of them said no. They'd never had someone say that they were too expensive, which might be a problem, right? <laughs> and I guess it depends, so yeah. It depends on the problem. And then a couple of them said, yeah, people ask me for lower rates all the time and I just don't do it. And eventually they'll just they'll just bend to the rate I'm asking for, right? But so I again, it's like this thing where I don't know if it's because people are so used to paying freelance designers and freelance programmers to do this work. They're not used to paying a support consultant. They're not used to paying someone an, like a outsourced sort of person to write a help documentation. So I think that there's a little bit of hesitancy on, on other people's ends with um, the, the model. It's different, you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't run into any problems with people not taking me seriously because I'm a woman. That's for sure. Um, if anything, I think it gets us more attention because they're like we talked about before, there are very few, female founders and also I'm a female founder in the tech industry not really doing anything with products you know we are so used well, to you're not developing talking. anything you're I'm not developing yeah. anything I'm not selling a product at all. I think I'm gonna say this though I think that the kind of service you provide is so valuable honestly I think there we, we talked about it a lot in the first show about the lack of support and yeah you know just coming at things the wrong angles if, if everything from a big company to a small you know, startup that's building their first iPhone app that needs support, whatever the situation might be. I think that there's um, there's such value in understanding how to treat people in general and then also those exactly. people as your customers. I mean, there's so much value in that. And truthfully, it's like building a it's like hiring someone to build you a website. Like they do the work, you pay them up front a big fee that you think about because you want to be serious about it and you want the best that you can have and you want to allocate money towards it. They go do the work and they bring you the solution and you use it and you continue to use it for the life of your brand until you needed to update it, right? right? That's what co-support does. Like we we give you the solution. It's not like, you know, <laughs> do you, I, have you ever seen that ad that's like if you, if, if you live in New York, if you've ever been to New York, there's a guy who's got the ads that are like like papered all over the walls that are just like a picture of him with his flowing hair. And it just says, I will teach you how to play guitar. 
Like I think of I've never that seen guy. That, no. I think of that guy all the time when I think about what I do. Like I'll, I will teach you how to play guitar. I guarantee it. You know, I guarantee you, I will teach you how to do amazing support that will last you the lifetime of your brand. And most of what we do is like light bulb moments for people. Like you and I were having the conversation earlier where you, after we talked the first time, you started noticing throughout the course of the next five days, how many times you use the word feedback. Yeah. Right. Stuff sticks with you. Even said it today before we started recording, I was, I I know. And every time I say it, it, something in my brain says, Sarah would slap me in the face if if she were here right now. Because I think actually you said you were going to come through the, uh, through the digital mic and punch me in the face. I think is what you said. I think I said to hang the phone up in your face. Yeah. Hang the phone up in my face. I thought it was a punch. I was thinking violence, but maybe I'm wrong, but. Yeah, every time I said feedback since then, I even said it today in a planning session with my team at Pure Charity. I was like, you know, ah. can you guys give me some feedback? And I'm like, oh, she would punch yeah. me. Tell me your thoughts. That's what she Yeah, tell me like. your thoughts, guys. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I think that um, it's a valuable, valuable thing that everyone wants. Everyone knows that, I mean, we're seeing, like, I tell people this and they're, they're kind of astounded, but we see Yelp reviews for apps these days. Like people will actually create a spot to vent about something online because they had such a bad experience. If they can't get it, the message through on Twitter or iTunes store or whatever, like people will go all out. They'll be like me with ADT, you know? Or yeah, and, like like us, less everything with everybody hates cookbooks dot com. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's like, awesome, right? <laughs> seriously, seriously. So. Um, it's something that's very valuable and I don't have any problem telling people what I think I'm worth or what I think my products are worth, you know, but I I definitely want to get into a place where people understand that you're going to pay for something that's going to last you, that you're going to be able to train all of your employees on, that you're going to have this sort of branded solution for your company. You're going to be able to take it from, it's portable, right? You can take it to any employee. You can print it out. You can make a manual that's like your employee guide to it. It becomes an get, asset, doesn't it? I mean, it becomes an asset. Yeah. If you get bought out and you have to end up hiring 30 employees, you have resources to bring all of these new personalities and people into your brand, you know? And a lot of it really starts with like, we, we talk to people who are building a brand. Like when we do audits, let's say, I hate calling them audits, but they're essentially like these support reviews. Like we read your emails. We'll read like 200 emails that you've written in the past week. And say, like, this one's terrible. You should never use these words again, ever. <laughs> and, like, rewrite them. And people are like, we're not trying to be rude and say that they're horrible at their jobs. But um, they don't know. They don't know because they think it sounds good because someone said it to them. You know? And we, we want to empower people to be better. So, anyway, it's, that's very different than having someone code your Rails app. You know? So I think that we just have to get into a place where people are realizing that, that that value is specific to what you're getting, to what you need, um, to the solution that you're going to implement from it. It's not just like an arbitrary number. <laughs> like, I'm the only one doing this. I want to charge you five grand. You know, that's never how we've come at it. Right. I should have. I really should have thought about that from the beginning. But then again, I wonder, I don't think I'm, I would have been so successful off the bat if I had, if I had gone it that way. Like, I'm the only one doing this. I'm the only one with the marble rye, you know? So We really haven't talked the- about the size of your team. I mean, we really, I don't even think we really talked about any true specifics about co-support as a business. We've talked in and around oh. the solution well, you, you provide. I you to talk about my life and my history. Yeah, I, I, I do. And, but we're on this little riff here, and I'm just, 
you know, I'm just saying we didn't do it. You didn't get my Seinfeld joke about the marble rye. You know what? You and my co-host on the Change Law would get along well because he's always like, he'd he'd say some sort of little joke that the only wind would get, and it it tickles him pink when somebody gets it, like the one person yeah. who gets it. And then like a minute later, he's like, Adam, you didn't get that joke I said about Seinfeld, did you? I'm like, mm. you didn't get it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Sorry. I noticed you didn't get it, but that's okay. But you're also on a TV BFF, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, you kind of you're you're like a pro. Yeah. Well. You're a pro. I'm an auteur. Is that what they call it? Auteur? I don't know. Anyway, I think it's the French word per, for pro. There you go. So let's let's um, let's talk about this then because I think that you got some uh, – you may have already given this advice to the course of these two shows, part one and part two. But directly I want to ask you for – maybe not even just for female founders out there. Maybe specifically to female founders. I don't really care. It's really up to you. Yeah. But to people that are looking to create businesses like you've created, not so much like co-support, but you know, thriving on the passions you've you've been inspired by, the people you've been inspired by, the luck, the blessings, whatever you want to call it, sure. um, you know, the the learning of that money doesn't make it, and it's not money that makes you happiness or gives you happiness. But what kind of advice can you give to someone that might have been in your shoes a few years ago before you learn the things you learn now? Oh my goodness, that's so. That's huge. Um, I would say find a mentor. Um, find a mentor who succeeded at doing what you want to do and, um, and endear them to you. I tell people, like, find a mentor, take them to dinner, do it for a few times until they offer to pay. And when they've offered to pay, you know that they're invested in you. Right? right? But before then, you're just courting them for their attention because most entrepreneurs and business people and successful people don't have time to do little stuff like that. Right. So find a mentor. Um, one of my people, one of my favorite people in the whole world is Heaton Shaw. He runs Kissmetrics. He's uh, one of the most amazing people. He is profoundly gifted at giving advice to young entrepreneurs. Um, follow him on Twitter, read his blog, just hang around him. He actually virtually. Has, he has his phone number on his blog too. So if yeah, you want to give does, him a phone he's call. about it. He's serious about it. Like I, I, um, I asked him one time I was giving a talk and I needed a, a, a screenshot of a Gmail inbox that was like populated because I don't keep anything in my inbox. And I said, can you take a picture of your, um, like a screenshot of your Gmail inbox and I'll like blur it so people can't see anything, but I just want to use it for this one little slide and it's not a big deal. He <laughs> sends me an email like two minutes later, a full huge screenshot of his whole inbox done. Anything else you need? Like, no questions asked. He's no questions asked wants to help people. And there's a lot of people like him out there. Gary Vaynerchuk is another person like that. He's very approachable. He's, you know, got time for um, entrepreneurs. Um, I I would say probably now more than in the past, Jason Fried is really open to, you know, talking to people about their sort of ideas and, and, and mentoring them a little bit more. He's a great advisor. Um, has obviously been very successful in, in in his own brand of business class that we lovingly refer to as Freed's Way or the Highway. Um, so if you want to if you want to be like that, you know, he's always open for that kind of stuff. He's very friendly. You know, I think like a lot of people, a lot of like entrepreneurs are almost like afraid of these big personalities, but um, you know, they're just people with companies and employees who built shit. They're not like. Well, you know, maybe some of them have huge egos, but I wouldn't suggest that you contact them, right? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I would say find a mentor. I would also say like, try to surround yourself with the majority of people who don't, who don't really give a shit about what you're doing online. Because when we get into a place where we're in our bubble and in our world, that's when ego really takes advantage of us. Yeah, it's true. Um, and beyond that, we get very, like I said, we talked, I talked before about that tunnel vision, you know? So that was another thing that I did. Like part of what I did last year when I did this like culling of people in my life, I really focused on developing friendships of people that I really sort of couldn't even explain what I did to them because it was kind of out of their world. When I had been so obsessed and deeply involved with the tech scene for, gosh, like, I don't know, like 12 years already, everyone I knew was part of the tech scene, all of my friends, you know, I started creating friends, people just like architects. And I have a friend who's a doctor who, you know, has a totally different perspective. He doesn't even have time to, like, ever check a blog or a Twitter. He's saving lives, you know what I mean? Right. So these are people that, like, keep me grounded and, and give me perspective about what I do for a living and give me perspective about the, the culture of our industry and that it's, it's not really a society. It's a place you go to work, and then you're supposed to box it up and leave it, leave it at the desk. And go home. I've always had a hard time doing stuff like that. It was only until I met my wife that she's helped me learn more on how to do that because I could never understand. Like she says, you know, you're an entrepreneur, Adam. And I guess I'm. I, I replace the word entrepreneur in my title. I guess if I'm writing out my Twitter handle or whatever, it, I'd replace it with starter because I think I start things. I'm not so I say much starter. An, I think is what I, I think that's what I call myself on on most things is starter. Yeah, because I'm not some. I have an entrepreneurial mindset and a brain, and I think about if I have an idea, I think immediately how could that become a business? It doesn't mean I want to go out and build it, but I can get excited about it. Yeah, and you know, for her, she gets excited about those things too. But she's like, I want to put that stuff away. My life is about meaningful long-lasting relationships and investing in friends, investing in family and people that matter to me, like relationships. That's, and that right. seems like what you're talking about too. It's just that, you know, you got to hang it up sometimes. Yeah. You, you really do. Perspective is what matters. Perspective is what adds value to what you do. If you don't have perspective about what it is that you're building and how it's going to affect people, then, you know, it's, it's not going to have as much value as you think. Like, I think another thing in our industry is we are so, we're littering our industry with tools that we build for each other and not tools that we build for other people outside of our, outside of our little internet bubble, our Twitter bubble. So then when we launch them and people ask us, normal people ask us questions about how to use it, we're almost like frustrated and sort of resentful that they would even not know, you know, it's a, what are you talking about? It streams RDO to your Apple TV through your computer, right. you know, <laughs> like, like what I always tell people too, like if you're building apps, especially if you're building an iPhone app or um, an Android app, take it to someone that you know who doesn't know how to use it already and watch them use it. Just watch what they do. Watch the buttons that they press. Don't answer their questions, but listen to the questions they do ask. And that's going to sort of give you perspective of how the majority of people that are not programmers or designers are going to, they're going to use your tool and whether it's going to be valuable to the rest of the world. Because if it's valuable to our industry, you could make 50 grand a year on it, right? Yeah. But what if it's valuable to the rest of the world? It's true. To the rest of the consumer market. Mainstream. You know? Yeah. So anyway, get great advice, find a mentor, take time for yourself, um, and have some perspective. Those are, those are kind of my, my big things. Slow down. You move too fast. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think that, like, you know, we need to chill out on the Red Bull for a minute. <laughs> 
Um, we need no, to take better no care of our, out. We need to take better care of our bodies. You know, you need to stop eating after seven o'clock at night. You need to do some do some great cardio thirty minutes a day. Even if you just stand up and do jumping jacks, do twenty five jumping jacks every hour. Take a walk. You'll feel take a walk. I mean, that's the easiest took, cardio ever, right there. Take a half hour walk. Take a half hour walk, and you'll get yeah. Seriously, you can do a mile in 16 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's my advice, you know, on top of yours is, you know, take a break, take a 30-minute walk and think about what you're doing and break away right. from everybody else and just kind of... You don't even need to think about what you're doing. You need to think about other stuff. Yeah, or yeah, just, you know, you get to be you know? in your own mind. Kind of like what you said, it's almost like meditation, but you're you're not at right. that peaceful meditation, which I haven't studied like you have. So I'm just saying that yeah. it's well, a the, type of meditation. The meditation is important to me. So most people say that you're supposed to meditate before before you start your day or after you're done with the day. TM stresses that you do 20 minutes twice a day. And so I choose to do it in the middle of my work day. And I tell people like, um, I don't say like, I'm going to meditate, but I tell people I'm going to be gone and I'll shut my computer off. Like I'll completely shut it off. Sometimes I shut my phone off too. Um, and I'm gone and they don't need to question what I'm doing and they don't need to know what I'm doing. They just need to know that I'm taking time away. I'm going to, I'm gone right now, you know? Um, and I don't ever feel the need that I have to explain where I was or why I was gone for 30 minutes or why, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't ever feel guilty about that or like they're sitting there working and I'm up against my wall with my eyes closed, you know, I don't ever think that kind of stuff. So, um, give yourself permission to take breaks. Uh, the big thing too, is take care of your body, like get sleep. You'll make much better decisions about everything that you design. Yeah, that's the one piece of advice I didn't care for from Crush. It was the the lack of sleep. (laughs) I think it's ridiculous. Do you know why you're up until you're up until three in the morning? Is because you're tired. You're not making good decisions. Take a break. Get some sleep. Get seven hours minimum minimum a night. You'll make much better decisions. You'll work smarter. You know, work smarter, not harder. That's That's what we're supposed to say. That's true. That's true. So I think that's another thing that like, especially when I go to these conferences and I talk to a room full of guys, like I give them advice. I I know that I sound like their mom, right? (laughs) You need to eat better. Are you guys, (laughs) you should go for a walk. Oh boy. That's true. It's true. But you know, I worked in a male dominated industry for um, more than 10 years and it's just like the same old cycle of Red Bull and coffee and candy and staying up till 3 a.m. It will catch up to you. That's true. Yeah, it really will. All right. So let's let's close with, I think, could be potentially, I don't know what your answer is going to be, but potentially a fun question that uh, <laughs> I, I almost ask every guest. Um, and it's just, you know, what's what's on the horizon for you, your business? You know, yeah. what's something that's secret no one else knows? But I don't uh, have any secrets. I don't keep secrets. No secrets. No secrets. Secrets rot the soul. Secrets rot the soul. They do. I, I, there's a big difference between secrets and privacy. Okay, well, right? let's, let's say privacy so, then. Let's use a different word. Then. What, yeah, what is private I, information I, that no one else knows that you can talk about <laughs> here today uh, with you, co-support, or, or maybe even an upcoming conference that maybe not many people know about? Well, one thing that is new, and, and I don't remember if we talked about it last week. Um, I think that it wasn't even – I don't think it wasn't even announced last week, but we are doing our very first support conference this fall. Um, we're doing, we're putting on a conference with, um, in, in, we're co-producing it with this great company called User Voice. It's called UserComp, UserComp.co, and we are going to spend a whole day talking to people about doing great support. 
And I'm really excited about it because it's been my dream for a while to put on my own thing. When I was working in support for a big company, I would always watch the designers and programmers go to multiple conferences a year that the company paid for, like RailsConf and whatever conf and whatever conf. There was never anything that catered to support people. So we built it. <laughs> we built a conference for support people and community managers and, and anyone who's really interested in learning how to do better support. So that's October 12th. And super, super, super excited for it. If you have a support team, please send them. I can email me. I'll give you a, a discount code even. The, uh, I think the connection might have just broke off for one quick second when you said the date. So can you repeat that last thing you just said? It's- it's October 12th in San Francisco, California, United States of America. Wow. that's And we're <laughs> going to have food trucks. United States of America. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so, so are you, are you working with, uh, with uh, Richard White then? Or is it just... Yes. Yeah? Richard's the best. Richard's the best. He's, like, he's, a, he's good people. He might be listening to this because of you being on the show. And this is me, Richard, saying I'm sorry. Um, and the only reason I'm saying sorry is because on April 14th, he emailed me and... I haven't gotten back to him yet about him coming on this show. So soon, Richard. So soon. So this is another thing that I beat Richard in is being on your show before he gets there. You go. You're you're the winner, (laughs) and you're in front of (laughs) Brad too. Brad Smith is on the way on on this show too as well because he's got some news to announce for for uh, for Verb. Brad Smith is amazing. And so check this out. A long, long, long time ago, when I was a blogger, I was friends with with Brad. and he had a he had a little company in Missouri, <laughs> and he employed Keegan Jones yep. uh, and Ryan Sims. Right, right. What was so the company these, called? Um, I know that they named their first <laughs> Ryan and Brad named their first consultancy Absolutions with a Z at the end, and apparently they had to change the name because people kept calling them thinking they were a Catholic church. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Shoot. Um, I don't remember the name of their company, but talk about three rock stars that came out of the middle of Missouri. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah, they are, too. I've been a fan of Ryan Sims' design work and Keegan Jones oh, for years now, and they're, I know. they really are good. I don't even know if it's fair that Ryan Sims is allowed to have a job. He puts he makes everyone else's work look so bad, you know? <laughs> like, his designs are so incredible sometimes. But they're good people, and I'm glad I beat Brad on your show, too. I think the company name was Unborn Media. <sighs> I could be wrong. No, that's no. Boston, Massachusetts. That's the address. No, that Unborn was, was the first incarnation of Verb. I don't know why I'm giving Brad's interview for him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, that's a off for the next one. Yeah. I'm like Brad's biographer. That was when they when Verb was like a music company with, with pure volume or whatever right. they were Anyway, anyway, ask him about that. Yeah, that's funny though. But yeah, ask him. Ask him about absolutions. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know all the internet secrets. Like, I know stuff you don't want other people to know. I've been in it so long. There you go. <laughs> so, user voice. Uh, you're working with them on userconf. Is it userconf.co? Is that what it is? Co. Please come. We've got speakers from Airbnb and Microsoft and campaign monitor 37 signals chase who's speaking is my partner on my tv podcast which is really cool that he's going to come and and talk about their support operations um yeah it's going to be an uh, someone from eventbrite and survey survey monkey yeah 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 that's right you got the founder of uh well the previous founder i guess of wufu who is wufu, now- right and so I, I i it's weird that it's not wufu anymore but it is wufu but he's known to, as being wufu right uh but yeah, and then we have um, 
we have a really great uh, speaker from um, that's he's leading the customer feedback department at um, Microsoft for Visual Basic or something like that. I should read people's bios a little bit better before I talk about them. You're talking about uh, Doug. <laughs> Doug, yeah. And um, I'm jokingly telling everyone that he's bringing us all Surface tablets if you come. If you, if you buy That's your ticket That's what I heard, by, too. That's exactly what – I bought my ticket because of that. Yeah. If you buy your ticket by midnight tonight, he'll send you a Surface tablet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go, everybody. I got to check this out. So I got to go to Microsoft. This is like um, – I want to just tell the story. Maybe I'll tell it after dark. I'll tell it after dark. Okay. Well, that'll be an after dark. So – um, we'll, we'll kill the show for now, but Sarah, it's, it honestly has been a pleasure to do a two part with you. I think Thank you got, you. Thanks for having me. I, I really think you have a lot of fun advice that, uh, and, and a lot of different perspectives that I really wanted to share on the show. Sometimes this show is, is it's got different nuances in it. It depends on the guest, And I think you were an awesome guest and yeah, I love, you. I do love your, your, your story. I think there's so many things that you have shared in this show, and I'm sure you can share in many more. So if you see her on a speaking panel in a conference you're going to go to, uh, get excited. You know, reach out to her on Twitter. It's at SH. That's really easy. But, you know, Sarah, thank you yeah, so much for coming on the show and, and being a part of, of uh, helping everybody else. And thank you for listening to this show. As, as always, we're at uh, 5x5.tv slash founders talk i'm on twitter you can follow me if you want i'm adam stack and yeah i just told you who sarah is on there so you can follow her as well but thanks for uh tuning into this this show